Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. And welcome in. It is about to be National Signing Day. It's right around the corner. Message boards are lit up. People are talking, watching the flips, what could happen, what might happen, what will happen. Alongside the man to break it all down, National Recruiting Analyst for On3, Josh Newberg. Josh, how are we feeling less than a week out from the big day? The only people that's working harder than us is Hayes Fawcett's Photoshop right now. (laughs) Outside of that, man, it's been awesome. First go around at On3 for National Signing Day. This has been a really exciting run. I'm loving it. It's been been a sprint right now, man. I tell you what, there is so much to unpack. We're going to do a lot of it. Get you warm, all right? Before you sprint... Before you break into the full event that is National Signing Day, you got to get warmed up so you don't pull anything. I'm warm. You're warm? You're feeling yeah, good? Yeah, I'm warm. This, this, you know what? Shout out to all the YouTube commenters. The last <laughs> time I wore this, you guys roasted me in the comments. So go go do your thing. Good. Have at it. Good deal. Well, if you want to get as warm as Josh Newberg, you're at the right place. Got a great show lined up for you on the docket. Going to set the table for National Signing Day. What's looking at with the class rankings? What are some of the big fish still out there? We're going to unpack that in its entirety. It just means more in the SEC. All right, we're going to take a look at the top 10 and five of the top 10 being from the Southeastern Conference and uh, some of the schools that could make a move and just kind of the climate within the SEC from a recruiting standpoint. Also going to talk a lot about Texas. They are on a roll. Just landed a big-time commitment from Anthony Hill last night. That was huge. They now have three five-star players at different positions. And it's also flip season. Got to talk about some of the teams that are looking to potentially flip a big-time player on signing day. We saw it last year with Travis Hunter. Who's this year's Travis Hunter? Going to break that down for you. Then to wrap it all up, Ohio State and Michigan. 
They already played on the field, but a lot still to unpack on the recruiting trail. Sort of a tale of two programs from an NIL standpoint as well. Should be a whole lot of fun. We're so glad you're with us. We're so glad you're keeping it locked right here on the On3 YouTube channel. Subscribe if you have not already. Josh Newberg and I taking care of you for the, for the uh, foreseeable future. But, Josh, let's just start with setting the table, man. Before we eat, what are we looking at heading into National Signing Day? First and foremost, I'm looking at the number one team in the country, Alabama. Closing strong, putting distance between them and Georgia at number two. Alabama not only solidifies their commitment with Justice Haynes, five-star running back that was flirting with Georgia. He came out yesterday and said it's over. He canceled an official visit to Ohio State that was supposed to start today. You know, and then they go out and they land five-star edge Keon Keeley. At one point, it looked like Keon Keeley might be at Georgia, might mm -hmm. be at Florida, might be at Ohio State. Nope. Alabama finishing strong, doing what Nick Saban does. And even in a year where people may be counting Alabama out yeah. a little bit, Nick Saban comes back with the number one <laughs> class in America, and it doesn't look like he's going to be challenged on the run-up to signing day. Every single time. Someone starts to say, well, has Nick Saban lost a step? Is Alabama going to be Alabama? They have been in the past, and then Alabama's sitting there at the number one spot in the class rankings. Got a pretty tight squeeze on it as well. So let's talk about some of the other programs, whether yeah. in the top ten, the outside the top ten. Who are some of the potential biggest movers within this team rankings you're looking at? Yeah, Nick, can you uh, pop up the top ten on our screen while I speak here? Some of the big movers, obviously Texas. I mean, Texas is sitting at number three right now. They were outside the top five before the week began. Miami, look at Miami inside the top four. Tucked themselves in nicely after the commitment of five-star offensive tackle. Samson Okunlola yesterday. Honcho. Yeah, Miami was sitting, I think, at number eight heading into the week, now sitting at number four, so big move there. And then when we talk about moving out of the top five, hmm. Notre Dame is on a slide. They started the week at number three, looking right now, they're currently at number six. Um, and Notre Dame, you know, they're holding on tight right now to five-star Peyton Bowe. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But if they were to lose their only five-star commitment, you're looking at Notre Dame entering the week before signing day at number three, potentially falling to the bottom of the top ten. So we'll have to see how this shakes out. But there's a lot of movement taking place. And then you got OU, LSU. I think both teams are threatening some flips. Like I said, we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit. LSU also has five-star Desmond Ricks on campus as we speak. He's going to make his decision on the 22nd. So, And a lot of major changes in just the last seven days. I mean, LSU was at number five yesterday, dropped all the way to number seven after getting the commitment from a top five safety in JV and Tobiano. How does something like that happen, Josh, for those that are still trying to make sense of the rankings right now? Well, you got to figure Miami landed a five-star offensive tackle. More firepower on the board. Texas lands a five-star. More firepower on the board. Not only are they landing uh, five-stars, but like Samson Okunlo is the number three player at his position, mm. while Anthony Hill is the number one player at his position. And to, to take tex what you said on Texas at the top, Texas has three five-star players at each position. But they have three number one players at their given position. You have Peyton Bowen. I'm sorry. You have Arch Manning, number one QB in the country. You have Cedric Baxter, the number one running back in the country. And you have Anthony Hill, the number one linebacker in the country. So Texas is absolutely on a roll. They're cooking right now, man. They're cooking but, at just the right time. But, J.D., what comes with high-powered five-star recruits? expectations <laughs> so my question to you you know Sark made it through year two at Texas there was some rumbling you know some some fans but year three 
What are the expe the expectations are going to be? I don't even need to say yeah. what are the expectations. What does Sark need to do in year three on the football field? Yeah, I mean, this is something we're going to get into a little bit later as well. But I think when you look at Texas historically, like recruiting well for them isn't anything new. Like they're traditionally one of those teams that's right around the top 10. They had a number five class last year and top 15 the year before even going through a coaching change. And so I think for Texas, you got to see the continual upward trend. Like they're on their second season, or excuse me, on their third full season under Co Coach Steve Sarkeesian. So at this point in the third season, you want to really see something that's a little bit more you know, that you can sink your teeth into. Eight wins is great, but at Texas, they're not going to be happy with just eight wins. So I think that's kind of the story for Texas going forward. Can you see some upward progression? And signing day going to be a very big piece of that. Landing some big fish on signing day. Going to yeah. be a very important part of it. Who are some of the top guys that are still uncommitted that you're keeping an eye on as it comes to setting the table for National Signing Day? Oh, big-time five-star teammates James Smith and Quay Rousseau. There was some interest. There it, I should say about a month ago, it was a three-team race. Florida was heavily involved, Auburn, Alabama. Now it looks like an in-state Alabama race for these two. I mean, this is a big-time get for whoever can pull this, uh, this combination of the two five-stars. James Smith, dominant defensive lineman. Quay Rousseau coming right off the edge as a stand-up linebacker. I mean, unbelievable. Then you got edge, five-star edge Damon Wilson. Wilson's a UGA Ohio State battle. Five-star athlete Nicholas Harbor. Not deciding on early signing day. Going to take it another month into February. Mm -hmm. Deuce Robinson will as well, the number one tight end in the country. Then you got five-star corner Desmond Ricks. He reclassified himself from the 24 to the 23 class. Guess what? Still an elite corner, no matter the class. This one is going to come down to LSU, Alabama, and Florida. All three schools have hosted him on visits. Desmond Ricks at LSU this weekend. Watch the visits. See who he visits last. It's LSU. Five-star defensive lineman Mateo Uyagalele. He's a big piece on Ohio State's board, but also USC's board. We'll see what happens with him. Those are the big five stars that I'm watching. Those are the top 50 players, mm -hmm. the ones that are really going to truly move the needle. I mean, we saw JVN Toviano, like you said, committed to LSU, but he's a top 150, top 200 type player. At this point, it's kind of like in school when you have a low GPA. Well, that GPA is a lot easier to move when you've only taken two semesters versus about 12 semesters. Hmm. Now, when we've got 25 recruits in a class and you're sitting at number eight, in order to really move the needle for you, you got to land these top 100 kids if you want to see a big jump. That's what we saw from Texas, and potentially we're going to see that from LSU as well if they can land Desmond Ricks. I mean, if they can land Desmond Ricks, that would be absolutely huge. That would be the eighth defensive back that they would land in this 2023 class. I mean, talking about being DBU, making a statement to be DBU for the future. What is Brian, My question to you, though, what is Brian Kelly sending a message to his defensive back room by signing <laughs> yeah. eight, possibly even nine defensive yeah. backs? And, I mean, seriously, what is that? tell the the roster no I think genuinely I think anytime you have a room that is full of young guys the writing's sort of on the wall like hey if you don't elevate your play if you don't start to ramp it up a little bit we got a whole lot of talented cats that are itching to get on the field and they've got the stars to prove it so yeah. I think just it, it's, it only elevates your room having good competition but I mean I think if you're currently an LSU defensive back you better step it up quick it's some sort of a hurry. Call. yeah it's some for sort of sure it has call. to be it has to be Talking a little bit more about Desmond Ricks with him reclassifying, this is something we're seeing a little bit more of in the modern era of recruiting. Talk to me about what goes into players deciding they want to classify 
or reclassify yeah. up a class and graduate early. I mean, we're seeing more yeah. of that now. I think it is something that we're seeing because it comes with, it's the natural progression. We're already seeing so many prospects enroll early. Mm -hmm. They want to get a, a leg up. They want to get a head start. Now, not everybody, everybody can enroll early. Mm -hmm. As long as you have the uh, credits to do so, anybody can enroll, enroll early. I don't think reclassifying is for everybody. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Desmond Ricks makes it look easy. It's not easy to go from the, your junior year all, and skip your junior year, I should say, all the way into your senior year and still be a dominant player at that level. So Desmond Ricks at IMG Academy. And the Whispers had been, this isn't like something that just happened in September. Yeah. The Whispers had been, hey, if you're recruiting Desmond Ricks in the spring, recruit him as a 23 prospect, not mm. a 24. So there was some sense that he was going to reclassify from coaches across the country. And it's fascinating because I don't know that people give enough credit to how much a player changes from their junior season to their senior season. Like, you're still, as a teenager, maturing physically. You're getting faster. You're getting stronger. You're figuring out what your preferences are for your college. And so, like you said, it's not for everybody, but the kids that are able to reclassify, the kids that coaches say, yeah, we will take you as a 23 as opposed to a 24, freakish. Yeah. I mean, there's, also, freakish. there's also positions where it's easier to do it at. Desmond Ricks yeah. plays a skill position. It's a lot easier. You made a good point about maturing bodies. A lot of times, offensive linemen really don't come into their own until their senior year. I mean, you do have those 6'6", 305-pound freaks that are out there as juniors. But for the most part, coaches kind of leave that offensive board open a little bit to see who physically matures in the trenches. So Desmond Ricks does it at a position where you can do it at. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very crucial. It's the not position. an every. It's not an every. Just because you might be a mm -hmm. five-star recruit in a low in a younger class, it doesn't mean that the next thing you should do is reclassify to the class above. Exactly. I mean, we saw Quinn Ewers do it at quarterback. Desmond Ricks do it at corner. But in the trenches, to better make sure you got your Wheaties very much so eaten and ready to go for the next level because that is a high contact position to say the least. But let's talk about as a fan for National Signing Day. What should you be watching for your specific team, just as a general viewer? If I was a fan leading up to signing day, the one thing I'd be watching is the On3 YouTube page. Make Done. sure you're subscribed to Lock that. Lock it in. That's it. No, but, but beyond that, um, if it's your team, you want to hold on tight. Yep. Hold on to what you've got. You've been celebrating these guys all year. You would hate to see it fall apart at the end. And what's going to happen at the end due to NIL, I think we're gonna, we'll are gonna we talk about this a little bit later, For but sure. I don't really know which direction NIL is going to make things go. Hmm. Is, is NIL, some of these business deals getting done, going to secure guys in their spot? Or does NIL make a business decision happen right before Penn hits paper? Because, hey, numbers are numbers. I'm going to go with the numbers. So I'm interested to see. This is year two. NIL has progressed itself a little bit further each year. Uh, I don't think we know everything when it comes to NIL, so I'm just excited to see what happens on Wednesday. Yeah, it's one of those things where it is a totally new variable being introduced to the recruiting world. Like now that you can pay players for their name, image, and likeness, Maybe I want to go to the school that has a better NIL structure yeah. as opposed to maybe the other school that doesn't quite as much pack a punch if both things are equal. So to recap the top 10 for you, we got Bama at one, Georgia at two, Texas sitting at three, moving up to three actually, Miami at four, Ohio State in the five spot, Notre Dame just outside the top five at number six, LSU at seven, Florida at eight, Brent Venables and company at number nine, and Josh Heupel in Tennessee sitting at that number 10 spot. Folks, if you didn't memorize that, if you don't have that all locked in, don't worry, because I promise you, by the time signing day rolls around, by the time the dust settles on that Wednesday, uh, things are going to be very, very different. I mean, just yesterday, just yesterday, <coughs> out, or, uh, Miami was at number eight. 
They land Samson Okunwoa, they're at number three. Now you got a top three class. All of a sudden, a two hours later, Anthony Hill commits to Texas. They bump Miami from three to four. So it is almost real time when it comes to the rankings. Got to watch the ticker. Got to be locked into the On3 YouTube channel. Again, make sure you're subscribed. It's a 12-month-a-year sport. We're in the sprint mode of it. We don't want you to miss out, so make sure you subscribe. Make it's sure worth every penny, party. too. <laughs> Free 99, yeah. a good price point. Josh, before we move on, what is one program that you could see moving into that top 10 that isn't there right now? How about I give you two? Love I'm it. watching Oregon at 13, and I'm watching USC. I think USC is at 11 or 12 right now. So the, the way that Oregon gets in is, number one, hold on to Dante Moore. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Mm -hmm. But you got to hold on to Dante Moore. They have no chance of getting in the top 10 if they don't hold on to Dante Moore. But there's a couple foot pro products out there, including David Hicks, the number one defensive lineman in America. So I do see a way because sitting, if you land a, a top a five-star recruit sitting at number 13, that is heavily weighted, and it ha they'll have a good chance to make it to the top 10 if they can do that. Love it. And Once, they, oh, and then yeah, USC, USC as well. Yep. Mateo Uyagalele, another five-star edge that's out there. It's an Ohio State, In State USC kid. battle. Yep. And also, I'm just not counting Lincoln Riley out down the stretch <laughs> on National Signing Day. So uh, those are kind of the two teams that I think could maybe find their way into the top ten. You know, one school that's interesting that we haven't talked a ton about just yet in this recruiting cycle, Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. They had the number one class a season ago, and now they're at 15. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them make a little bit of noise and make a tough push for some guys here down the stretch as we get into the early signing day. Well, Josh, appreciate you, man, setting the table for us. Let's talk about the SEC because it just means more, right? It just means more in the SEC. And five of the top ten, as it stands right now, are from the Southeastern Conference. you got Bama at one, Georgia at two, LSU at seven, Florida at eight, and Tennessee at ten. Let's just start with this. Why is the SEC so consistently just elite when it comes to the recruiting trail? They have a lot of resources, but they also win a lot of games. And in all seriousness, I, in recruiting, everybody talks about these different things that help in recruiting, like where this player's girlfriend is attending school or these relationships. But really, if you look at who recruits well, it's teams that win. And winning is the ultimate, and I know NIL is involved now, but I still think that winning is what it all comes down to And if you want to find success in recruiting. Sustained re success in recruiting, I should say, because even with the NIL, if you're not backing it up with wins, then I don't think it's going to be a sustainable model. So I think ultimately the SEC is a very good conference. They're winning a lot of games, and they have a ton of resources, and you got to pour it into recruiting because recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. And I think to riff on that, too, you talk about winning goes hand-in-hand hand with development. Like a lot of these kids out of high school, yes, they want to play for big-time you know, hardware. They want to play for national championships and win conference titles, but you look so much at what they want to do past the collegiate level. All these kids that are five stars or maybe high four stars, I guarantee you some three stars, they want to play in the NFL. And what better way to set yourself up for the next level than to play in, let's call a spade a spade, NFL junior in yep. the SEC. And it, I don't think it's a coincidence that Bama and Georgia are one and two, and they've just churned out top prospects professionally. And so I'll move on there, Josh. Why is Bama and Georgia consistently dominant? Is it the NFL development? Is it the resources? What, in your mind, sets them apart from the rest of the group? It started with Nick Saban at Alabama laying down the blueprint for how to how to succeed at a high level consistently year after year. Mm. Kirby Smart sat around and watched that. He took it all in. He understands it probably better than anybody in the country not named Nick Saban. 
and it starts at the bottom. It starts at the well. It starts at the foundation of the program, which is set at the top by the head coach. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as you have a head coach that lives out his rhymes, for lack of a better term, yeah, then you're gonna you're gonna it. get you're gonna they're gonna believe in you. And you're seeing that machine taking place at Georgia. The machine is already in at Alabama, and Georgia is recruiting like they want to be the next great college football dynasty. And it's wild because you look at Alabama over the years, the consistent staple in that program has been Nick Saban. Like and you winning. just kind of and winning, yes. And you kind of just flip the pages through the coordinators and position coaches. A lot of those guys promote out and take a head coaching job, or maybe they take another position at a lower you know, school, group of five school, they have a head coach there. You see a lot of this staff changing. But some of it Saban's works. consistent. Some of it works. Some, some of it some doesn't. Of it don't work as yeah. well. But it's just interesting. And do you think that's something we're going to see with Georgia going forward? Because now they're getting to the point where Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator for them last year, takes the head coaching job at Oregon. And so they're kind of having to retool their staff year in and year Everybody's out. trying to dip into that Nick Saban magic and find a little bit of their own. Like, look at Billy Napier at Florida. Just Billy Napier's a great coach. He's done some great things. But let's all, you know, we're if we're being honest, part of the reason why he's there is because he falls from the Nick Saban tree. And everybody wants to implement that into their program. They want to see if they can get that role. And so Georgia has, I mean, Georgia has bought in to what Kirby Smart is selling. Not only has the program, but also the recruits. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, if you want to go ahead and hire best for your program, you look at who had success previously, who mm -hmm. cares about the right things, who has the right philosophy in place in terms of recruiting and building the internal part of your program. So if I'm a head coach, or excuse me, if I'm an AD and I'm looking to hire my next head coach, I would start at Alabama and I would start at Georgia and try to hire one of those guys away. So it's, it's a good Plenty strategy. Plenty of teams are. It's Plenty a good strategy. Are. How hard could it be to be an AD, right? I mean, that's all, <laughs> that's all you got to do. Talking about LSU, let's, let's shift gears yeah. here just a little bit with the Tigers. Number seven class currently, which a lot can change in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. They're number five this time yesterday. Number 12 class last year. The knock has always been against Brian Kelly. Well, how well does he recruit? Does he really want to recruit? It seems like he's recruiting just fine in the Bayou in his first few months there, first, I guess, calendar year there. What would be a good class ranking for them? What would be a class ranking that Tiger fans should be happy about when all the dust settles? I think they can finish inside the top eight. Mm -hmm. um, I think inside the top eight, you walk away with a good feeling, but I think they're going to finish higher than that because with Desmond Rick still on the board, I think that they do end up landing him on the 22nd. And you, you kind of rewind this. Take a step back. Let's think about LSU's opening season game against a Florida State team that didn't even make a bowl last year. They, they go to Louisiana on a neutral site and play LSU, and they lose. LSU loses. Everybody thought, oh, man, this Brian Kelly experiment just isn't going to work. It might not get off the ground. There was a lot of uncertainty. But what kept that class together was the fact that things calmed down in the bayou. They started winning ball games. They started looking like a Brian Kelly team should look like. And they never lost a ton of footing in recruiting. They stayed right there with guys like Desmond Ricks. I mean, one of the weird things was losing Duran Reed to Auburn, one of their top defensive uh, prospects on their commit list flips to Auburn when Auburn doesn't have a head coach. But that's that's SEC recruiting in a nutshell. Just Some weird things are going to happen. But overall, like you said, if you take a step back and you look at a number 12 finish last year compared to where they're at this year, I think the Brian Kelly experiment so far is right on track. What makes them so dangerous, Josh, and you mentioned this a little bit, proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Like now, if you're a kid in the state of Louisiana, and we've seen this play out so far on the recruiting trail for the Tigers, if you're in state, 
you're looking for a reason to stay home. Right. And now Brian Kelly has given him that reason, competed for an SEC title last year. You didn't win it, but that's why we need you to come to our school, help us get over the hump, and be back to where we expect LSU to be consistently. And so now they have proof of concept. The Tigers are dangerous. And, they're, and the local kids are buying in. Shelton Sampson, five-star wide receiver, one of the top in the country. He committed to LSU. There was mm -hmm. some, some talk about, oh, he might not be a solid commit. You never heard a peep out of his recruitment since he committed. So LSU's done a great job down the stretch, and they probably will add a little bit of firepower down on National Signing Day. Another team that we're watching here pushing down to the very end, the Florida Gators. Mm -hmm. Number eight mm -hmm. class currently, Josh. Last year, number 20. Yeah. in the team rankings. Dan Mullins last year. Dan Mullins last year. A bit of a transitional year, so we'll maybe give him a pass there. But how important is it for Florida to finish strong here as we head towards the early signing period? It is really important for Billy Napier. You only get one chance at that first-year bump. Mm. And a lot of teams do get a bump. I mean, look, UF has already benefited from that. They're number eight in the recruiting rankings, and they didn't even make a bowl this year. So people are believing in Billy Napier. However, they're kind of fizzling out down the stretch. We saw them miss on Samson Okunloa to in-state rival Miami yesterday. That was a huge blow to Florida. Not only a big-time player at a position in need, but somebody that they've invested a lot in. They got him on a kind of a secret visit about a month ago. Everything was kind of trending in their direction. And then all of a sudden, they get him on an official visit, his last, his last trip to any college campus before he made his decision. And now Samson Okunloa goes to Miami. It doesn't look like UF is going to be uh, – a player for Desmond Ricks. I, I say that because out of Desmond Ricks' recruitment or his official visit to Florida, things seemed like they were trending their way, but he still had an Alabama and LSU visit remaining. And I just knew that the momentum you got to carry through all those official visits, if you're Florida, it's going to be tough. And now you got Desmond Ricks on campus at LSU right now. I don't know if Florida can land him. I do think that they're involved in Mark Fletcher, a big-time prospect in South Florida, another one that they're going to go head-to-head -head with Miami at. He's a four-star prospect, an on 300 type player, but I don't know if he's, he's got that oomph to get him into the top five. Um, Sitting at eight right now for Florida would be a solid finish, like we just talked about. You get rid of Dan Mullen because you were sick of finishing in the top 12, mm -hmm. nine, even in the eight range. So I think if, if Billy Napier can land a top eight class in his first year, they miss a bowl, I think that's a very good start. I think you kind of get worried if things start to fall apart here for UF down the stretch and they fall out of the top 10, that could be a concern, but right now, probably recruiting where you want them to. Um, of course, you'd like to see them a little bit higher, but Florida's never going to have it easy in the SEC. I mean, Billy Napier's got to go up against Jimbo, or Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Brian Kelly. Then you get Texas, Oklahoma jumping in board. Uh, the SEC is a monster to recruit in. And, you know, Billy Napier off to a good start. I wouldn't put it as a great start just yet. It's crowded, man. It's crowded. Like you said, in the SEC, the standard is so high. It's so competitive. Five of the top 10 teams, believe it's eight of the top 20. And you got Ole Miss sitting there at 21. So it's such a competitive stratosphere, is that the right uh, word to yeah. say? I mean, competitive ecosystem. Yeah, when you're, you're in that world. You know, the SEC. And another top target right now that's going to come down to an SEC battle for UF is Jordan Hall. I, I shouldn't forget his name. Four-star out of Jacksonville, Florida. He's a big-time defensive lineman. And this is where you kind of start to see the balance of power and how it works out in mm -hmm. the SEC. Georgia has a just a rich class right now. And for them to add Jordan Hall at the end, not, not saying they don't need him, 
but boy does Florida need him. So he's an in-state prospect <clears throat> in Florida, going to come down to those two rivals, Georgia-Florida SEC battle for Jordan Hall. Um, Florida needs to win that one. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. And what you said at the beginning of the segment, I think, is on the money. You brought Billy Napier in to recruit. And then Billy Napier said, okay, you want me to recruit well? You got to give me some resources. You got to give me something to work with here. And so we watched the team photo come out for Florida. And what do we see? Blue polo there, blue polo there, blue polo there. Like it was as many blue polos as it was guys in uniform. Yeah. And those folks in blue polos, guess what they're there to do? Help get top talent to Gainesville. And he's flashed, don't get me wrong. I mean, Billy Napier has two five-star quarterbacks committed to him. Don't forget, yeah. Jaden Rashada in the 23 class and DJ Lagway in the 24 class. I mean, he's flashing. But for Florida to take it to the next level, I mean, anybody that goes to Florida recruits well. Mm. It's hard not to recruit well at Florida. But you have to re recruit at an elite level if you're going to close the gap between UF, Georgia, Alabama, and the teams at the top of the SEC. What does Emerald say? Kick it up a notch. At Florida, Boom. they're starting to try to kick it up a notch. So let's transition gears here a little bit. Tennessee, number 10 class, 25 commits, number 15 class a season ago. For a moment there, after they had beat Alabama and they were pushing leading up to the Georgia game, the number one in the country, it felt like maybe there was a lot of momentum for the Vols in the recruiting trail. At number 10, are you disappointed at number 10? Do you feel good about moving a few spots up from a season ago? Where do you put the thermostat at, or where do you, you know, take the temperature yeah. of for this program? If I'm a Tennessee recruiting? fan and I was in a coma for the whole season and I just woke up and I see Tennessee at 10 knowing that they were sitting at like the top of the rankings earlier, yeah. I'd be a little disappointed. But if you take a look at what is on their commit list, starting with Nico Imaliava, the quarterback, five-star quarterback out of California, they address a lot of needs. It's a very efficient class. It's a, it's a class that they need to bolster the defense. Go look at their defensive line class. It's unbelievable. David Hobbs, five-star, all, everything. He's in there. But let's, let, hold on, let's rewind it and go to Nico. Nico's a recruit in the 2023 class. Yep. But where is he right now? Oh, he's, he's at Knoxville, I guess, wherever they are prepping for the bowl game. Right. Yeah. So yeah. he's already throwing passes to Tennessee wide receivers and practicing with Josh Heupel's offense. So Doing push-ups, stepping on the tee. The quickest way to get better, yeah, culture. Yeah, I saw that. Hashtag yeah, culture. That's good stuff. <laughs> but the quickest way to improve your team is through the quarterback position. I mean, look at what Hendon Hooker infused into that Tennessee offense. Mm -hmm. So having Nico Imaliava already on campus doing bowl practice, he'll be he'll be prepped and ready to go to spring. A lot of people say, oh, early enrollees are great because they get to go through spring. Well, this one is going through bowl practice, then spring. He's going to have a lot of reps under his belt before we get to fall camp. And also just getting adjusted to college life. Like, I've been there on report day in fall camp, and everyone's nervous. Everyone's sizing each other up. How do I fit? This is so weird. I'm not home anymore. Like, it's your first time as an 18-year-old being away from home cooking in your own bedroom. And now you're thrown into another setting, and it just takes a while to get acclimated, especially for a guy like I mean, Nico from California to Tennessee. Three, it's like a different planet. Three weeks ago, Nico was walking into a locker room full of high school kids that are nowhere near his level. Yep. Now, just like a month after his homecoming dance, he's in the locker room in Knoxville doing push-ups for stepping on the tee. <laughs> and that's going to pay dividends. That <laughs> is going to pay dividends, being able to get – your feet settled and mm -hmm. on the ground, just in the college life, and then be able to transition to football. I think that is enormous. Yeah. So volunteer fans should be fired up. Let's look at the rest of the SEC. You got A&M, 
at 15, you got Arkansas at 17, South Carolina at 18, Ole Miss at 21. It's not the rest of the SEC, but looking from the 20, top 20, 21 or so. It's about where they should be. Right. That's, I mean, who, so of these four, then, who are you keeping your eye on as we move towards national signing day or the early signing period? Uh, you know, I want to keep my eye on Tennessee. Ole Miss, obviously, I love what Lane Kiffin's doing out there. He's going to hit the portal hard, so it's kind of it's hard to judge exactly what yeah. Ole Miss does on the recruiting trail because mm -hmm. we know that Lane Kiffin might not enjoy high school recruiting as much as some other coaches, sure. but he has a great selling point in the portal. He has proof of concept, like we've said. So I think it's kind of hard there to, to decipher exactly how you should feel about Ole Miss's recruiting class until you see the class that's brought in from the portal. And some of it, too, I think when you look at Tennessee, you look at schools like Ole Miss, with both Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel, would you ever turn away top talent? Of course not. As many five stars you can get within your program that fit your culture and that you believe are fit for you, you know, you obviously welcome that in. But I think there is something to be said for what you talked about with getting the right pieces. Like yeah. when you go and, and are going to go make dinner for yourself, you don't just buy everything in the grocery store. You go get exactly what you need. And so if you can get something else that's going to help you, you take it. But if it's not, you know, contributing to what mm -hmm. you need, I think that you're okay. You don't get too caught up in the rankings. We also shouldn't forget about Texas A&M. Yeah. Never. If we're five days out from signing day and we're not mentioning Jimbo Fisher, we're doing something yep. wrong. Yep. This man can recruit. Say what you want about the team on the field. Jimbo Fisher is a recruiting machine. I'm interested. You know, they got a little bit of a smaller class, so I'm interested to see what they do on signing day. Um, but their big thing is going to be holding on to the number one defensive lineman in the country, David Hicks. So because of Texas A&M's lack of success on the football field, I feel like they're a little bit less uh, aggressive down the stretch. Hmm. They got to be more defensive down the stretch because of what happened this season. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they do in the portal. I mean, a, a school that the portal will probably, or not probably, has caused them to lose quite a bit of personnel. You would have to imagine they'll go on offense to replace some of that already developed personnel yep. and be able to plug and play a little bit to. more. Two schools that I'm watching within that four that I just mentioned, Arkansas and South Carolina. Yep. I mean, Shane Beamer, I would commit to Shane Beamer today. Like, I'm fresh out of eligibility. Maybe not so fresh, but I'm out of eligibility. I would play for him tomorrow if I still had a chance. So, I mean, he's a guy that's such a high-energy guy, high-culture guy. Like, just listening to and press they conferences. Won they games. won some big games. They won two of the I mean, two top ten wins. Only, I think, the seventh program in college football history to win two top ten games back-to-back yeah. -back as an unranked program. So, that's a team that could make a play yeah, here as well. Very Jekyll and Hyde type program, but to me – that shows that they're just a few pieces away. Now, it does hurt losing Jaheim Bell, losing the edge that they lost in the portal yesterday, but it's a program that's sellable. Like yeah. you said, a ton of energy out of Beamer. It's, a, it's an SEC program, and they have some needs. It's, they're kind of they're, they're hinging on what they do in the portal because it doesn't look like they're going to crush it in high school recruiting down the stretch, but I think they do have a great shot. In the and they can get their kind of guys. I think they're a program yeah. to watch for years to come. I yeah. love Shane Beamer, what he's building down there. Let's talk about another program that's building. We mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show. The Texas Longhorns, Josh, don't look now. They got the number three class in the entire country. Texas is on a roll. Got a commitment last night from four-star linebacker Anthony Hill. Consensus five-star, I suppose. Number three linebacker in the country, according to Charles Power, and on three. How much of this is something that Texas fans should – I want to make sure I phrase this correctly. Texas fans should be excited 
but they've seen this before. What's the temperature in Austin right now for you? Are we still in the recruiting in the SEC segment? No, we're in the Longhorns. No, why? Longhorns. It could be. Well, it could be. It could be. It could be, it could be. I mean, SEC. Yeah, I, guess that, yeah. I thought we were just being a little progressive. Genuinely, yeah, it could be that as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, Texas is, is really rolling right now. I think that they did a great job getting Anthony Hill on board yesterday. It coincides a little bit with the, the commitment of Samson Okunlola, the five-star offensive tackle that went to Miami. Yep. After he commit, after Samson committed to Miami, there was rumors that this weekend Anthony Hill was going to take an official visit to Coral Gables. Mm. And at this point, you, if you're recruiting Anthony Hill in your Texas, the last thing you want him to do is be in Coral Gables down there with Mario Cristobal and John Ruiz. They have proven that despite their record, Miami is a player for anybody in the country mm. that is looking for a great NIL opportunity. Uh, Texas shut it down last night. They get Anthony Hill on board, their third number one player at the position. They have Arch Manning, the number one quarterback. They have Cedric Baxter, the number one running back. And now they have Anthony Hill, the number one linebacker in America. All three are rock solid. Arch Manning, ready to go. He'll be an early enrollee in Austin very soon. Cedric Baxter took three visits to Florida State at the, at the end of October, beginning of November. I thought at the time FSU was in there, but my concern was whether they'd not be able to weather the storm all the way to signing day with that momentum. It looks like Cedric Baxter to FSU is completely fizzled out. I expect him to sign with the Longhorns on signing day. And then you add Anthony Hill, the number one linebacker in America. Not only does Anthony Hill immediately impact your roster with talent, but it also takes away a great player from one of your rivals. Anthony Hill was committed to Texas A&M for quite some time. He decommitted about a month ago, was still considering Texas A&M, but at this point, I would say it's all over. Anthony Hill is expected to be in Austin this weekend, and I fully expect him to sign with Texas on signing day in about five days. Now, yeah. Yeah. Now, just hold on. Yeah. It's not all about acquiring. We'll Sometimes you got to play a little defense, too. And Sadir Mitchell out of the uh, New Jersey area is one of the top defensive linemen on their commit list. But George is coming. Now, we'll see what happens with Sadir Mitchell. Right now, he remains committed. That would be a big piece, something that Texas wants to hold on to. Uh, but they're finishing strong right now, and they are on a roll. And if those commitments hold, as we expect them to, Texas has had to fight off some other programs to keep a lot of those guys and ultimately win some of those commitments. I mean, for Texas, like you said at the beginning of the segment, they're headed to the SEC in a very short period of time. How crucial is this 2023 class for what they're going to be when they get to the SEC? Because these guys start. will play in that program. They'll play in that conference. If they can finish top five, then you're recruiting like an SEC program should. Yeah. So it's a good start. They're getting a little bit of practice here. I think that they are you – know, and they're not done. They're still looking to flip DeAndre Moore from Louisville, top 100 edge. Tout – I don't know how to say it. Tausili Akana oh, okay. is not committed, but he is leaning toward Utah. We'll see if they can land him as well. So there's still some more left on the board. Okay, good deal. I mean, uh, Texas as a whole, them and Oklahoma both going to the SEC. So this recruiting class is something that people are watching very, yeah, very closely think, and for good reason. I th and if you're Texas and Oklahoma, don't you want to finish a little bit ahead of one oh, another? 100%. There's already that rivalry, but now that you're headed to the SEC, you really want to prove that, hey, we have the foundation here to compete at the, in that conference. You want to stock the cupboard as much as possible because in the SEC, the seasons are long. I mean, they're the same yeah. length as everywhere else, but I mean, with such the physicality in the trenches, mm -hmm. you got to make sure 
sure everything's built up from a depth perspective to be in good shape. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Texas recruiting and mention Arch Manning. How much of this class right now, being at the number three spot, having a quarterback like him to be one of the first dominoes to fall, are we seeing the arch effect here with how well Texas has done on the recruiting trail? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because there's some concern over Sark. You know, in year two, the whispers were, were going on. But the one thing that kept everything calm was the fact that Arch Manning, the number one quarterback in America, was set to enroll early at Texas. I think it get, it it kind of gave Texas a little bit of leeway there when it looked like they were losing some games. Maybe they shouldn't. That you know, Texas might not be back just yet. Mm -hmm. Well, it's okay. Arch Manning's on the way. That was the message. And I also think that it helped it helped bring that recruiting class together. There's players out there that want to play with the best. Arch Manning is, is, is focal point number one when you look at that commit list, and a lot of players jumped on board just because Arch did. Josh, I'm gonna ask you to set the floor for this class. From a ranking standpoint, they're number three right now, they've been moving all over the top 10, What's the floor, the absolute worst case scenario for this class in terms of a ranking standpoint? I think he'd be a little disappointed if they fall out of the top six. Hmm. Uh, I think that means Sadir Mitchell probably moves on, but I think that Texas has a very good shot of remaining in the top six. I think this is an unbelievable class, top to bottom, in the trenches, at key positions, and especially at quarterback. And that's the thing, too, the trenches. I mean, they had a wealth of riches last year on the offensive line in terms of who they got in that 2022 class. A couple of those guys had to play early, but that's the thing that I'm really watching for this Texas class as they get to signing day, as they get through to February and finish, I guess, what was the original signing day, but now going to be the last signing day. Can they keep it in the trenches and be as stout as they want to be going forward? Something to watch for the Longhorns, yeah. but we're going to keep an eye on it. And I promise you, the Texas Longhorns fan base will keep an eye on it as well. Uh, if you haven't yet gotten membership to Inside Texas, Bobby Burton does a great job there. Uh, Joe Cook does a great job there. Justin Jerry, Wells. Jerry Hamilton Jerry does Hamilton. a great job there. There's a, there's a lot of great content to be had there on Inside Texas. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. We got you covered. Warming you up right now for signing day, I promise you there will be a ton, a ton of content on this channel leading up to, on, and through signing day, 12-month year sport. We cover it as such. All right. Now, we, you know, Texas, you mentioned they're trying to hang on to some of those key guys. Every single year, flip watch is a topic. I remember last year where I was when I got the news, hey, Travis Hunter, the Florida State commit, well, he actually just flipped to Deion Sanders and Jackson State. Who are you watching this year? Give us a short list of names, maybe, when it comes to flip season that we need to keep an eye on as it gets closer and closer flip to season. pen to paper. My favorite yep. season yep. of the year. All right, <laughs> I'm looking at five-star safety Peyton Bowen. He's currently committed to Notre Dame. Could be flipping to either Texas A&M or Oklahoma. Uh, Notre Dame did an in-home visit. They're going to try to keep him. He's an unbelievable talent. Talking to Sam Spiegelman, he truly believes he's going to be one of the most impactful freshmen, mainly because of his ability to return kicks and punts as we're watching right now. Uh, Peyton Bowen, one of the best. Also, David Hicks, another Texas prospect. David Hicks is committed to A&M. He's the number one defensive lineman in America. And David Hicks is looking at Oregon and Oklahoma. I'm sorry, Oregon. Yeah, Oregon and Oklahoma. They're in it for him. Sadir Mitchell, Georgia, is coming hard after Sadir Mitchell. Four-star on 300 defensive lineman, currently committed to Texas. Then you have four-star wide receiver Andy Jean. He is committed to UF, but he is in Tallahassee this weekend taking an official visit to FSU. Kind of unexpected. He wasn't supposed to go anywhere 
earlier this week, rumors started flying that Andy Jean was going to be in Tallahassee. Today's Friday as we tape this. We'll see if he ends up showing up, but he is expected to be there. UF cannot afford to lose him out of Miami Northwestern. And in the day and age of NIL, there's so much more, I think, eyes on are these kids eventually going to put pen to paper? Or, and I think there's also this narrative that at the 11th hour, you have a program come in and say, we have this NIL package potentially in place for you. Do you want to come play for us? Like, do you see NIL causing a higher frequency on the flip market when it comes to the recruiting trail? Because it makes sense in theory, but is yeah. it reality? I want to see. Okay. And, the, and the litmus test for me is going to be five-star quarterback Dante Moore. He's hmm. been committed to Oregon for quite some time. And I know Kenny Dillingham, who's now at Arizona State as the head coach, had a big hand in being his primary recruiter. But Dante Moore is now listening to UCLA. After taking an official visit there last weekend, our Chad Simmons said that UCLA came with a, quote, strong NIL offer that has Dante Moore thinking. So... That being said, we know Oregon has a strong NIL program and can offer him plenty of opportunity there. But if UCLA can come in, I mean, this is kind of where we're starting to figure it out. Is NIL, does NIL make things more secure down the stretch? Yeah. Or does NIL cause more chaos down the stretch? If the litmus test is Dante Moore. If Dante Moore flips to UCLA, we know that it was enticed by a strong NIL opportunity it's what got him there. It's what got him listening to Chip Kelly. So we just got to see what happens down the stretch with him. And for the folks at home, what goes into a flip? Because I'm thinking, okay, it's leading up to signing day. Is it primarily NIL? Is it just blowing up the phone and being, you know, kind of unsure about your commitment mm -hmm. leading up to it? Is it coaching changes? Like there's so much that I would imagine goes into it. But in your mind, Josh, what are some of the key ingredients that go into the beautiful thing that is flip season? Well, as the pressure starts building is the, at the run-up to signing day, um, yes, some of it is what you said, but also look at what's happening at Georgia right now. Justice Haynes, Alabama five-star running back commitment, comes out and says, I'm done. I'm not going to Ohio State this weekend. I'm not considering Georgia anymore. I'm 1,000% committed to Alabama. So what does Georgia have to do now? They have to pivot. So this is where you can start creating some flips. Georgia no longer in the running for Justice Haynes. They turn their attention to three-star running back Kyron Jones, who has been committed to NC State throughout the season. NC State's just sitting there saying, hey, we're five, five days from signing yep. day. Yep. We love this running back. We fully intended to sign him. But what are you going to do when the defending national championship team comes knocking? Kyron Jones, possibly a flip option for Georgia. So sometimes it's just, hey, this is how it is in the college football picking order. But Georgia is the defending champ. NC State didn't compete for a you know, uh, national championship last year. And now Kyron Jones is considering a big-time flip to Georgia. And we've already seen some of these flips happen. I mean, Ruben Owens went from Louisville to A&M. We saw Jaden Rashada flip from Miami to Florida. So we've already seen some of these flip dominoes fall. Big a lot time. of action before signing day. Is there an anticipation in your mind? Are we going to see a lot of these flips that will happen prior to signing day or is it going to be hey national signing day hits you better be locked into the on three youtube channel because things are going to be flipping and flopping and we're going to see a bunch of different names end up at different schools like how do you see that potential action happening in your mind yeah it's happening now we forgot lincoln uh lincoln keenholz yep quarterback four-star quarterback flips from washington to ohio state yesterday uh, i think the more flips that we see before signing day are going to create more holes on other teams uh, commit list and they're going to have to therefore go flip more prospects on national signing day.
There's some whispers right now over Peyton Bowen, like we talked about, over David Hicks. The question is, do we find out if they're going to flip before or on signing day? Yeah. Uh, personally, more drama on signing day, the better. I'm yeah. all for it. But if I'm a player, I'm saying I want to know where I'm going as soon as possible. I want to do right by the school. I want, you know, I'm, I want to have my ducks one in a row. Further. Yeah, tell me. What if you're a coach? And your livelihood depends on who's on that commit list, and you want to know who you're signing. Like, yeah. if you have a major need at wide receiver, you have a major need at QB, and you got a QB like Dante Moore that's maybe considering, how do you handle that? Do you go all in on Dante and try to keep him, or do you pan? I don't know if it's panic. Maybe just you know, cover your butt. Yeah. But do you go out and cover your butt and go land a maybe a lower rank guy that you just need because hey, we got to get somebody in at quarterback. Yeah, we can't be left empty-handed on signing day because so, we needed a quarterback in this class. We thought we have him for the last however many months, and then signing day comes, and in theory, if you do lose one, like. I think that strategy is very much so something that a lot of programs may have to take into account as we get closer and closer to signing day. Now, Josh, Ohio State and Michigan, two programs that I'm sure would be happy to get a couple more flips as the big day approaches. Yeah. It's a fascinating rivalry because it's 365, it and it's been kind of a tale of two programs. Obviously, Michigan having won the last two, this most recent one in Columbus, and it was not pretty. Ohio State currently at the number five class at the time of us being live. Who knows if that changes? They have 20 commits first in the Big Ten. Michigan, Big Ten champions Michigan, are fourth in the Big Ten. Behind programs like Michigan State currently, they're number, uh, excuse me, they have number 22 class, 19 commits overall. What is the state of recruiting for both these programs right now? Kind of break it down for us where Ohio State stands, where Michigan stands going forward. A really weird dichotomy taking place Very here weird. Because Very weird. you would think that Michigan, being the program that they were this year, finally getting over the top, making the playoffs, being a dominant team, you would think that they would recruit a little bit better. This is almost like a science experiment because mm -hmm. it's happening within the conference with two rivals and two teams that, you know, perennially are big-time winners, but they're taking different approaches to recruiting right mm -hmm. now. Michigan, and you can't really fault either of them yeah. because at the end of the day, it – what you do on the field is what matters most. Recruiting, yes, it does matter because it's the lifeblood of your program. Mm. But Michigan's taking the approach of like buy low, sell high, meaning maybe take some recruits that are three-star prospects, but build them up into five-star type players on the football field. Mm -hmm. Ohio State has not changed their approach to recruiting. They're going to go out and they're going to try to land the best player at every position and do what Ohio State does, and that's finish with the top three class in America. Right now, sitting at four or five, but threatening. They still have some big-time targets on the board. We'll talk about that in a minute. Whereas Michigan, on the other hand, they're not really going to finish strong. No, it doesn't I mean, look like it. They got top 200 DB Jahir Hill on the board. They have Hayden Moore on the board. They don't have any five stars. They might flip one from UF. He's a, he's a middle-of-the-road four-star DB, UF commitment, Aaron Gates. But they don't have what Ohio State has still remaining on the board. That's five-star edge, Damon Wilson. Five-star five -star defensive lineman, Mateo Uyagalele. And then they go out and they flip four-star quarterback Lincoln Keenholz yesterday from Washington. So you kind of see what's happening, and I don't know exactly how it's going to shake itself out. We're not going to know this year. We're not going to go ne know next year. But in three to five years from now, it's going to be really interesting to go back and look how this all shaped up because you have two teams using distinctly different strategies to recruit right now. And Brian Hartline, receiver coach for Ohio State, is just on the trail. I mean, look at who they have in the receiver room, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis. Like, they have got a wealth of riches at the position group alone. And I think 
in some respects, that's why there is such a gripe from the Ohio State fans for the last two seasons. I mean, it's never okay to lose to your rival. Mm -hmm. I don't care who it is, but Ohio State and Michigan, Ohio State fans are like, listen, we recruit better. We put up a ton of points offensively. Why are we continuing to fall short to that other team? And for Michigan, I think they do what great programs do. Like you already said, they evaluate well and they build internally. They develop guys that look very different from when they get on campus to when they get off campus. And so some of that is upstairs, but I think a lot of it too is strength conditioning. And you know, that, far be it for me to question what Ohio State does from a strength conditioning standpoint, but I'm just saying it's very evident that Michigan has gotten more out of their lower-ranked classes, on the field at least, than Ohio State has at least the last two seasons. So kind of riffing on that, or did you have a point you wanted no, to say? I, that I, yeah. Like I said, I find it really, truly fascinating. I think a lot of it comes down to NIL. I think we might talk about that yeah. in a little bit. But we're going to see. I mean, what do you think? Do you think what Michigan's doing is sustainable? Like, can they go on a run where they continue to beat Ohio State and dominate that conference? Or do they need to recruit more like Ohio State? Yeah, I think the the, the hope would be, hey, as we get more competitive, as we start to stack up these Big Ten championships, as we continue to prove, hey, we are actually the big dog in this rivalry. At that point, you can sell to recruits, hey, why are you going to Ohio State? Mm -hmm. We beat them every year. Why do you want to go to Ohio State? Why don't you come play for us? So I think the hope would be, okay, we've gotten the results. We always say the proof of concept is there. Now, if you're Michigan, start to parlay that onto the recruiting trail. But the, yeah. the, the thorn in their side has kind of been, a thorn in the side maybe is the wrong, the wrong word to use, but the negative recruitment against them has been, well, why do you want to go there? Their head coach might go to the NFL next year. That, he might be gone. I mean, how much of a thorn in their side has that been? Not as much this year as it was last year. <clears throat> I think this year, the thing that's really hurting them is the talk about NIL opportunities. Yeah. And EJ Holland of our Michigan site at On3 has done a phenomenal job of laying that out much better than I could. But the fact of the matter is, Ryan Day came out and said, hey, we're going to need $13 million next year to continue on with this roster. And mm -hmm. that's not... Ryan Day begging for money. That's just the reality of the situation right now with college football. Whereas on the flip side, Michigan has not really delved into the NIL world as heavily as some other programs. But if they're having success on the field, it's kind of hard to say we need to do more. Yeah. But you look at what's happening down the stretch, Ohio State adding big pieces. Michigan is actually losing big pieces. Mm -hmm. Collins Etchampong, Michigan's top-rated recruit in the 2023 class. He's a big-time defensive lineman. Flip to Miami. Hmm. That's Miami's tough. a program that's, that's not even in making a bowl this yeah. season. So why would he flip to Miami? Well, we know what Miami's doing with the NIL. We know that they have opportunities. John Ruiz, Mario Cristobal, tag team partners down there in Coral Gables are cleaning up. And this is a recruitment that I did not expect to see a flip from Michigan in the playoffs to Miami, who's basically on vacation. Right yeah, now. and my feel on that would be I think it's going to take maybe a couple of trips to the playoff and playing a team like a Georgia, playing a team like an insert NIL power here mm -hmm. and seeing, okay, we need to sprinkle in the NIL to get over the hump. Because you have former players from, you know, Kay McNamara to Eric All that transferred to Iowa, which is, I mean, just to be real, I mean, a, a lesser Big Ten program. Not to say they can't get back to being a you know, relevant team within that conference, but it was a transfer down in terms of competition. And one thing that Cade McNamara, one of the record, and said was, well, I'll, I'll be careful how I say this, but essentially said the programs that you would think are good at NIL don't quite as much bring the juice, which felt like a pretty direct shot at Michigan. Did it not? <laughs> Absolutely I mean, it felt, like, it felt like it. And if you're a Michigan fan and you're concerned right now about where things are with NIL, I say this to you. 
you can turn it around really quickly if they get some big brand dollars involved. Mm -hmm. Where the big brand dollars going to come from or go to, they're going to go to the winning teams. Yep. So like you said, if Michigan can make a run in the playoffs, compete for national championship year in, year out, all of a sudden, maybe you're not depending on collectives. Now you have Beats by Dre coming to your own players to say, hey, I want to. And then you get this money running through your program that is not from your boosters, but it's from the big brands and it's going to players that deserve it. Then you get the whole proof of concept thing and players start coming to Michigan. So maybe things aren't as far off as they seem, but there is there probably does need to be some sort of correction in 2024 for yeah. Michigan. One thing's for certain, both of these programs expect to compete for national titles and if it takes NIL to get them over the hump and to start winning national titles, I think that's going to be a situation where their hand does get forced eventually to that direction. Well, Josh, let's wrap this thing up to take a segment from the Inside Scoop, your show, which is on the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed and you get the Inside Scoop with Josh Newberg, all the recruiting scoop that you could possibly want, need, or imagine. Josh, what have we learned today from our warm-up here for National Signing Day? What have we learned? We learned that we know absolutely nothing. No, I'm not, I'm not I'm joking. I'm joking. We learned that there's some teams out there that have some big needs still to fill. Yep. There's some big-time players that are still considering flips, Peyton Bowen, Dante Moore, David Hicks, and that we know that there's going to be action down the stretch. I mean, mm -hmm. just yesterday we saw programs go from number eight to number three, down to number four. It is almost happening in real time, and I think this weekend with official visits ending in the dead period beginning on Sunday – we're going to see some action. Don't, JD, if you've never followed recruiting in ever, believe that the dead period is the furthest thing from dead. <laughs> I love it. I'm all about it. I learned personally just how consistently the SEC is within that top 10, within that top 20. To say I learned that yeah. is maybe a bit of a stretch, but how much that's going to shake well, up as we get down the stretch. It was striking when we looked at it. It was striking yeah. for sure. And I think we're going to see, here's the crazy part, I think we're going to see more SEC teams get into that top 20. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't expect Ole Miss to finish at 21. And if they do, they'll retool a lot in the portal. So talent acquisition, the name of the game right now in college football and the SEC is going to continue to be good at it because of winning and because of development and the way they go hand in hand. Well, that's it for us here. I hope you're feeling a little bit more loose, a little bit more warm for National Signing Day. It's going to be a lot of fun. We want to make sure you're locked in here on the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. Follow us both on Twitter, at Josh Newberg, at Judy Piquel, on Twitter. A lot to do there. A lot of interaction to be had there that we can help incorporate into future shows, future programs. We appreciate y'all, and we will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, 
Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.